0: Isaac Morehouse, welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. How to go from zero to a startup job in nine months. You don't need to jump through hoops or blast out resumes. You can start today. Praxis combines a three-month professional bootcamp with a six-month paid apprenticeship at a startup that leads directly to a full-time job. Startups aren't just for coders, sales, marketing, operations. Even if you're not sure what you're interested in, Praxis places you with a dynamic, growing company where you do work you love, become part of a team, and make a difference. Praxis is tailored to your goals and your interests, coaching sessions, group discussions with your peers, skills training, and a portfolio of projects along with the apprenticeship create a powerful combination of real-world experience and intensive learning. We are relentlessly committed to helping you discover and do what makes you come alive. We don't just prepare you for a job, we actually give you one. No degree is required to get started on your career. Whether you're an ambitious go-getter right out of high school, a creative thinker who's bored in college, or a college grad looking for the next step, discover Praxis. Great jobs are waiting. Are you ready? Today, I am joined by someone who I talk with. I get the pleasure of talking with all the time, very frequently, and that is Derek McGill, who is the
1: marketing director at Praxis. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here again. I was just talking to you actually right before the podcast as well. So <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to give it away. It's supposed to be like I, people are here for the whole thing. I feel like I get messages from you basically starting like 8, eight in the morning or so, 8.30 in the morning from until like... Until I go to bed, essentially, (laughs) or until until you go to bed. I go to bed.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm the opposite. When I wake up, I always have like two or three (laughs) hours from you, and then maybe, you know, because you stay up till like one or two, you're usually on Eastern time, and then an additional two or three hours from TK, who's on the West Coast. Uh, it never ends. Um, yeah. So Derek was on an episode very early on uh, about dropping out of college, an episode with Zach Slayback. And if you want to hear a little bit more of Derek's personal story and why he left the University of Michigan, great episode. Go check that out. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. But today I want to talk about a, a handful of things um, that I think are just fun and interesting. And you and I have sort of, ta- it's kind of like when you live somewhere, you never go see the monuments and attractions Like you and I talk so much, I'm always, oh yeah, yeah. we'll do a podcast episode about this stuff, and we just never do. So we had to make it happen.
1: I'm excited. This is gonna be fun.
0: And of course, as is always the case, it didn't happen when you were here living in Charleston and we were physically at the same place for you know a month and a half. No, no, no. Now that you're left, now that you're off somewhere else, now we're doing it over Skype. It's always the way it happens.
1: Actually, I, I and at the same time, I feel like it's always easier to do it that way, that way too. I, like I prefer podcast interviews over Skype. I've done them in person before, and I don't, I don't know. I just I find them find them easier to do over Skype. I kind of do too. A lot of people say the opposite; they like to be able to
0: be in in person and read body language, whatever. I know Zach Slayback likes that, and I for some reason I like being on Skype. So um, I got to start by asking you because because just a few minutes before this, you're in Pennsylvania right now and there was like a water main break and you said the whole town is basically shut down except for McDonald's. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I I typically go out around 10 o'clock in the morning and I I go get Starbucks and I work from Starbucks for a little while. And I, I went down there and you know, the water was, uh, everything was shut down. No restaurants are open. Starbucks was uh, open, but you couldn't buy anything. Um, and so it it sent me on this like three hour long kind of goose chase to try to find, food and coffee because right now i'm at my grandparents house and as you know you know old people don't eat that much so there's not that you know there's not really there's not a lot of food available to snack on and so i was going back and forth and back and forth and trying to go here and trying to go there and finally i just i saw the mcdonald's was open there was a massive line of course because they're the only place that's open right now and uh well, I, I, I walked in. I, I, you know, ordered my food, got coffee, which I was surprised they were serving coffee because of the water. And, and I asked them, and they, they told me, well, you know, we, we we basically have a plan in place where, you know, it only took us about 45 minutes to get up and running with the backup stuff. So we have you know backup filters, we have a bunch of different processes in place. And so they told us to shut down, and then 45 minutes we were open again. And I was like, that is amazing. Like I don't I don't want to live in a world where McDonald's or businesses like McDonald's don't exist. Isn't
0: that amazing? I just, oh man. I love capitalism. I mean, McDonald's is one of those places where like, yeah, if you eat there all the time, you'll feel kind of gross. And like, yes, the service is usually not very good. (laughs) Um, It depends. But, you know, it can be kind of slow, whatever. But like, I mean, you can't argue that, first of all, they have amazing French fries. But (laughs) second of all, just a, a reliable, consistent. Food at such a low price, any city you go, pretty much anywhere in the world, and they're always prepared for that kind of stuff. Like it's just amazing. That's just so that, amazing to me. That's a good
1: point because I, I you know, I, I travel a lot. Obviously, uh, I've, I've flown like seventy-five thousand miles this year, and I've driven across the I've driven across the country. Basically, I've driven from Austin now to uh, to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I'm going to be driving to Michigan soon. And literally, without fail, probably every 15, 20 minutes. I can make sure I can find a McDonald's open and it's like at all hours of the day. It's amazing. I love it. They've got free Wi-Fi now, you name it. All right.
0: So, um, here's what, here's the rundown of things I want to see if we can get to you ready.
1: Yeah. Let's so go. I want,
0: I want to talk about your <laughs> no hipster stock photos website. Oh yes. I want to talk about the, um, project that we just completed of rebuilding the Praxis website and some things learned in that process. Uh, I want to talk about, some of your interests that are completely unrelated to professional success, uh, ancient Greece. Uh, I want to talk about your use of Quora, and I want to talk about some frequently asked career questions that you get. So we're going to have to sort of like, go kind of punchy through these things. We'll move fast. Okay, I
1: think so I'm ready.
0: This, uh, <laughs> this hipster, nohipsterstocks.com, what, what I think is so cool about this, is this is what I call like a lightning project, where you have an idea for something, and it's a relatively small in scope project. And yep. instead of just talking about it, you just do it just, just to see it done. Chuck Grimmett talked about this on a previous episode. Just pick something where you spend only one hour learning it and then complete a project over the weekend. So you tell, what was the genesis of no Why, what made you
1: think of this and why did you do it? Well, so like. I guess the my the interest in the topic in general I said even before the site even before I had the idea for the site that really came out of conversations with you when we would sort of just jokingly talk about how awful it was to find stock photos and how you know we we want to write an article about this one day and then uh, I know I actually wrote a little post about it kind of a, a joking uh, a post that was sort of joking about the state of stock photos in the world today and stuff like that and uh, you know it was basically just a kind of a parody uh, a parody article that was pretty popular and then you know, I was looking for a post for the Praxis blog the other day, and I just couldn't find anything that didn't have somebody with a beard or, you know, at a coffee shop with some kind of like sepia filter or like a filter <laughs> from like like an, like an old Kodak film uh, or something like that. You know, like it's like they took it with a DSLR, a brand new DSLR, but they want to make it look like it was taken in, uh, you know, the 80s or whatever. Um, and I couldn't find anything like that. And the, the few that I did find, I had to wade through a ton of different photos so I posted on Facebook about it sort of jokingly. I was just like, "Hey, I'm I'm sick and tired of this. Does anyone have any recommendations?" No one really gave me any recommendations and the, the few people who sent me photos that were not supposed to be hipster were so hipster that <laughs> like like and and you made this point which is funny is like we are so used to it that we can't even like determine what is hipster and what's not. <laughs> so like I was given a bunch of photos of a girl like dancing in a sunflower field with like a you know, a bandana on around her head or something like that. And I was like, oh, come on. You know, so a,
0: a disembodied hand next to a yeah. moleskin with a cappuccino.
1: Yeah. It's always a moleskin and like a MacBook. And like they're like <laughs> writing on some like artisan paper and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> What startup employee writes on some like like it was like acid-free like handmade paper or something <laughs> like that? You know, I mean like like a, like a leather journal that was like made yesterday or something like that. Like they hand, they tanned it themselves and stuff. The, the cow is still you know yeah it's still I mean, rotting. It, it's crazy. It's like I have never seen. A single startup employee, and maybe it's just my own narrow world because I work with you guys. But I, I really, I've never seen a single employee work with any of the stuff that they're given in these photos. Well, here's so, our
0: supply room where we have a live octopus that we extract ink from, or yeah, you know, so we can put it in our fountain pens.
1: No, I swear, to God, I swear to God, I've seen more fountain pens in these photos. It's like, what? Who uses that? You know, some like really expensive, like artisan fountain pen. So. Anyway, I posted that, and a lot of people really seemed to enjoy that 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 thought. It seemed like a lot of people were kind of suffering from the same thing. They all kind of laughed. I got a lot of messages, and later in the day, I just had the thought, you know, I should just create a website. Um, I had been kind of researching the idea of side projects as a marketing tool for for businesses and stuff like that as well. And so I've been kind of just kind of interested in the idea of building a number of side projects myself that I could put up really quickly. And I had the idea and I just thought, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm probably not going to do it. I have a window of time from about 11 p.m. to 2 in the morning. I'm just going to give myself three hours and just make it happen.
0: Is that because that's the only three hours where your coworkers leave you alone?
1: Yeah, that's partly it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, with, I, I have so much stuff kind of on my plate at any given time. And it seems like more and more keeps getting added. And uh, I mean, I'm happy to talk about that stuff, too. But it just seemed like, OK, I, I got to just make this happen. I'm just going to set aside three hours. And I also wanted to kind of give myself, like, this is an experiment, and, and can I create a finished product in three hours' time and get it up and then get my, my first users the next day? Um, so I wanted to give myself that test, and then I wanted to give our participants, too, I would say, just an example of, uh, of moving quickly on an idea. So I did it. Uh, I built it really quickly. I went on the WordPress. Uh, got a theme, set it up, wrote some kind of you know humorous copy on the site, uh, got a lead capture set up. Put up some of the photos that I had taken of all of you guys uh, over the course of my, my work with you and then launched it the next day. And uh, it did tremendously well. I mean, it was shared a bunch of times. I got you know dozens of messages from people. Um, I got about 25 subscribers the first day or so by the end of the day. And, uh, you know, then people started using the, the, using the photos, submitting their own. And it was funny. The submission process was, was the most interesting part because again, like about, I would say 60 or 70% of the photos that were submitted would totally not pass the, uh,
0: (laughs) I saw a lot of people say, I'm so, I'm so glad you did this. I'll send you some photos. And I know some of those were like, you know. A guy with a beard drinking a craft brew in like a
1: (laughs) like coffee beans, like on a table in like a like a burlap sack. And it was like ridiculous. So so so
0: I'm excited. You told me that you're going to come up with like a so that everyone understands how this works. You're going to come up with like a rating system like you get points for certain levels of, of hipster. Is that is that something you plan to do with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I almost have to because of the (laughs) amount of like bad photos I've been given. And also, too, because because you sent out uh, you sent out uh, to your email list, uh, you know, a link to it, which I appreciate. It did really well and and got me another 25 or so subscribers. But then I started getting messages and comments from people saying like one of the photos on my website was was, you know, borderline hipster. (laughs) And I'm like, how dare you? Like I know, I know my standards. I know what I'm looking for, and so now I have I have to set the rules and say, look, just because there's a beer in the photo does not necessarily mean it's hipster. If it's a craft beer, it's like a plus one towards hipster. But as long as there's nothing else in the photo, I think that's okay. So I'm still working out the the scale <laughs> in my head, and you've been helpful in this in some of our conversations on uh, Voxer. But I'm thinking like you know, if you get like, let's say three points, maybe that that, that counts as hipster or, or something like that. And then certain things are going to count like for two points, you know, a beard, for example. Um, other things will count like negative points. Like I kind of jokingly said that if Zach's layback is in the photo, it's like a negative 10. Um, <laughs> it I, just I think, can't
0: be hipster no matter what else is in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I think he found that kind of amusing. Um, and uh, and whatnot. So I'm I'm still working on that. I'm always you know open to insight on how to how you're, to make. You're money. gonna be like you're gonna like bring the world together.
0: This is gonna open up a broader cultural discussion of what hipsterdom is. I feel like some doctoral dissertation could be written about you know the meaning,
1: the cultural significance of nohipsterstocks.com. So well, so what's amazing is like. I actually I think this project actually offended a number of people in my network because I got some sort of cheeky comments on the post about it. And then I even got some messages, basically private messages from people who, you know, had a man bun themselves or something like that. And were totally, you know, either hipster or, or teetering on the edge. <laughs> And so I actually had to put a disclaimer in the post saying, like, no, I don't hate hipsters. And then I I put that there. Like like
0: you have a MacBook and you're you're likely to be found at a coffee shop. But it doesn't mean this is this is just about an oversaturation of a particular type of aesthetic when
1: it comes to stock photos. That's it. It's not
0: it's not a critique of people.
1: (laughs) Well. I, that that was my original intention. But then if you look at the original post, I've had a number of people comment and say, no, I just hate hipsters. So it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing the, the community that's starting to grow around it, I think. And then it seems like every day now when we share a Praxis post, someone will comment on the post and say something like, oh, is this from no hipster stocks? Or like, I don't know if this, this counts as, as no hipster because the guy's wearing a flannel. So Well, it's, well it's,
0: now it's, you've created this reverse pressure where I feel like, Yep. I have to get I have to find a photo on No Hipster Stocks for any blog post. So I know. You got to get more
1: photos up there quick. We're going to run out. I know it's a lot of work. I I I've, I've run out of, of photos of Cameron who was like my favorite model for them. Mainly because <laughs> mainly because he didn't want me to use him, I think. So it was fun to uh it was fun to start saturating him and putting him up all over the web.
0: So you talked about side projects as a marketing tool for business. Which is really interesting cuz I cuz I think um It's pretty clear to see how these sort of, you know, lightning projects, really quick, fast turnaround side projects can be really beneficial for learning and sort of building your own brand and and experience. But for business and marketing, that's interesting. Um, Talk about that a little bit. And and do you have any examples of companies uh, that have had had side projects that have been sort of feeders into their main business?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the the examples that come off the top of the head are like uh, Buffer. Uh, the social media sharing app, they created a, a side project called Pablo, which was uh, an image editing tool for social media images. And that quickly took off and has become uh, one of their main sources of traffic on the website. Um, another good example was uh, is Crew. And Crew does a number of side projects. They have one that compares uh, Slack to all of the other... Uh, um, oh, management tools like communication tools for startups, and they ha- it's like a, just a single page uh, landing page. Um, they have one called Unsplash, which is actually ironically. Oh wait, like, they're uh, so they're Unsplash. Yeah, so they ah. are Unsplash, and and they were ironically they were the thing that kind of inspired me uh, to create a, an alternative to them because. I was on Unsplash when I had that thought that there are just way too many hipsters. Yeah. Unsplash is a,
0: is a great place to get stock photos cause you don't, they don't have to be attributed and the permissions are yep. all really loose. But yeah, yep. you, you hit a point where you're like, okay, I'm searching for an Unsplash photo. I, I, they all look the same after a while. Yeah. That's exactly. cool that that was a side project of theirs.
1: Yeah. So it was a side project, um, that was born in many ways, uh, similarly to mine, but theirs actually is still, I believe their number one source of traffic. So it literally, like, it got picked up on Hacker News, it got picked up on Reddit, and it just regularly drives consistent quality traffic to their website. Uh, so I think, I think, I guess the the philosophy is, like, and you and I have discussed this a little bit, sometimes startup blogs can seem a little bit too, like, I don't know, marketing, or like, it's like, just part of your company, people are less likely to read it, maybe, if it was, like, than if it was on, like, another another blog, for yeah, example. yeah, It's like
0: following Kraft Cheese on Twitter, you know, it just yeah.
1: doesn't feel like exactly. something people want to go do. Exactly. So, starting like a side project that is only very loosely branded—maybe with just some links or a description about, you know, your company or something like that somewhere—and as long as it's valuable, it has. I think it has a lot of potential to create, uh, uh, attract new audiences, create a community around this, and then drive a lot of potential attention to uh, to your company. And, and I know Crew has seen that. I know uh, Slack has done a number of side projects. Uh, like I said, Buffer did one. Um, and and I know also just like, I mean, Slack itself, the company itself was born out of a side project. Like Slack was not the original uh, company. Slack was something they were, they built internally as a project of their own. And once they realized their company wasn't really working, they said, hell, hell, we'll just go with Slack instead.
0: That's so, amazing. So a tool that they built just to yeah. manage their internal communications
1: ended up being
0: more valuable than yes. the whole company. That's that's awesome. So,
1: yeah, I mean, so it works for marketing, I, I think, and I, I think it's marketing will go more and more than that direction and that's kind of where i want to take praxis as much as i can as well but i think it also it it works to just create a community at the company of you know creation and and of uh of productivity and of just like you know innovative interesting ideas like that's that's the kind of community i want at praxis and we have that uh certainly and that's the kind of community i think i want at at any company the culture of uh you know, they just have an idea. Let's build it. Let's see what happens. And if it takes off and we have an opportunity to, to monetize something like that, awesome, you know?
0: You know, it, it kind of lets you solve the entrepreneur's dilemma, which is if yeah. you're really entrepreneurial and you just love to build and create things, if you're building something massive, a big sort of l- like life mission type of big thing that you're building, like we're trying to, to to build praxis and this absorbs the bulk of our attention. But this is a long-term ongoing thing and while you're committed to that sometimes you sort of you still want that like quick hit that high that like yep. you get the itch to create something and you don't want to just keep jumping from project to project and never finish something or avoid working on long term bigger you know massive challenges just because you want that quick fix and so this is sort of a really cool way to split the difference like all right this is what I'm working on all the time. It's sort of running in the background of my mind. It's my, it's my, my big project, but I'm going to do these quick hits all of a sudden, like, Hey, I'm going to get an idea. You know what? Um, I'm going to publish an ebook. You know what? I'm going to build this landing page, something totally unrelated and just allowing yourself to to take on those little projects and turn them around quickly and have fun with them really scratches that itch. And you, I mean, there is a high and, and it creates like a vibe among the whole team. Hey guys, I created this over the weekend and everyone's kind of, it's fun, it's exciting. And then it kind of spurs other people to think about stuff that they were sitting on that maybe they could churn out. Um, and I think it is a really cool way to sort of to solve that, that entrepreneur's dilemma.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll say, I guess some, in light of that, some general, guidelines if, if you are an entrepreneur or you are a startup employee and you're looking to build something i would say build something one repurpose old content because that that that's very helpful i mean i was able to get it up so quickly because i already had a good amount of photos i had taken um two is is build something that doesn't require a whole lot of extra time so that you can put it up and you can it, it can create a lot of value but that you don't need to sit there and manage it constantly um and, and that that's you know the case with no hipster stocks and so I think using those as two guiding principles is very helpful. Um, and then I'll say one more thing. just it, When I when I think about side projects that I want to create, I, I try to think of them in relation to my work at Praxis. So like No Hipster Stocks was a very, it was a fun opportunity to let people in on the inner culture of, of, of Praxis, to kind of show them like, here are some of the struggles that we have every day. And <laughs> like, I don't know how much that helps like long term, you know, marketing wise, but there is, there's certainly like, at least among our core followers, I think, I think they tend to like to see the inner workings of, uh, of, of our business and whatnot and, and, and being able to, to include them in something funny like that, uh, is certainly very helpful. I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I had a, um, this was maybe, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago. I'm horrible at keeping track of time. but we've run a public speaking workshop for praxis, um, you know, since we started. and we used to do it in person. And now that we have classes that launch every month, we do these you know different like virtual sessions and stuff. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe you know this is something that I want to see. what What would it be like if we translated a public speaking workshop into more of a virtual thing? And so basically, like a day after I thought of it, I called up uh, a participant, actually, who lives here in Charleston, Mitchell Earl, and I know he's into photography. And I said, hey, what if what if we just like during your lunch hour, you just film me doing a couple of these sessions about public speaking, and then I try to put them up on Teachable and we see what happens. So we hammered it out, um, got them filmed, got them uploaded, and created this thing, and didn't even know if it was going to be worthwhile. thought, okay, well, let's create it. Yeah, I think this is something that we can use um, for some Praxis participants and alumni. And then I thought, eh, what the heck? Let me just test it and see if anybody else wants to, to, to go through this public speaking workshop. And I just sent it out to some people. And a couple people went through it. Um, and that was that. It didn't end up – I didn't end yeah. up like saying, oh, this is going to be some big thing. It didn't like – almost taking any goals away, just saying, I don't know what's going to happen and nothing has to happen, but it's not inconsistent with what I'm already doing. It's uh, the, the contents all there. If anything, it helps advance the broader goals of things like Praxis, but I might as well create it, put it out there, see what happens. Um, and then I can just sort of move on. It doesn't require any ongoing maintenance. I think that's just an important mindset to get yourself out of that. Like it has to be this big, huge thing and you have to quit your day job to launch it.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's also, uh, I'll piggyback off that, like in my work at Praxis, my mindset is always like, we got to grow the customer base. We got to get bigger. We got to get more people applying and things like that. With no hipster stocks, I'm able to just totally take the pressure off, just release it. It's just something fun I get to do. And it, it, it ended up doing quite well. So what I've realized, I think sometimes is like it, when you're starting something, having a big goal in mind can sometimes be like an obstacle in many ways. And mm-hmm. You know, for me, like when I write a blog post, for example, that and you've said this before, too, when you write a blog post that has a, a specific goal in mind or you want to like this is going to be a viral blog post. Oftentimes it just totally falls flat. <laughs> but when you're just like in the heat of the moment and you're like, I don't care whether this, this is popular or not, I'm just going to throw it up because I have to write this and you just put it up and it's done. Those tend to be like the most more the most popular posts I have um, and like just like the off the cuff kind of just on the fly things. And and so with, with your side projects, I would say use that kind of same mindset, too. Like, you don't need to have a huge goal for it. Just throw it up, have fun with it, see what happens. And oftentimes, if it's just a good idea, it will take off in many ways. And, and No Hipster Stocks is kind of on the, the cusp of that right now.
0: Yeah, when you're sitting around with your with your friends, having a beer, coming up with funny ideas, uh, just, like, get out your laptops and build one of them right then and there. See
1: what happens. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so. We just did a rebuild of the Praxis website, and I mean, yep. this. When I say we, I mean you. Um, but, I, <laughs> but I'm going to take, I'm going to lump myself in and ride your coattails. You got groceries. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did. I fed you uh, <laughs> that that late night when we were putting it, making it live. But this is something that I mean, you you had some coding skills, some basic tech skills, but not a lot, even a couple months ago. I mean, even a couple months before the site was launched, we had, you know, we would go hire, um, somebody with some, some serious web development skills to do this kind of thing. And we had done a couple versions like that and you had all these ideas and you just sort of decided what, what if I rebuilt the website from the bottom up my own way, made it highly editable. Um, And you didn't come to me and ask me that because I think if you would have said, hey, can I rebuild the website? I would have been like, do you have any coding skills? And you would have said no, but I can learn. It would have freaked me out, right? But instead you showed me, hey, here's a site that I'm building in like a staging environment. It's not public. Um, this is what I would like the landing page to look like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on figuring out this, that, and the other thing, but this is the basics. If I were able to do that, could we swap it with the current site? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, yes, I love this. It's awesome. It's got a lot of stuff in there that we've wanted to do. And it's just hard, you know, when you're working with contract guys Yep. and you kind of just, I mean, not kind of, you did, you just taught yourself and did this walk, walk me through what made you decide to, cause this is really a tough thing to do it yourself versus, hire somebody. I am really big on not doing stuff you hate, not spending time on things that other people can do better than you. But there's all, there's such a tough trade-off there between do it yourself or outsource it to somebody because of the time that it can take. They might not have the vision. So I know that you're completely comfortable with outsourcing a lot of stuff and that's made makes you more productive. But what made you choose in this case to just teach yourself a bunch of skills you didn't have in a short amount of time and do the site basically on your own.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, you you said part of it was number one, like I had a lot of other things I was working on. There was a lot of stuff that needed to get done and, you know, trying to get a, a $5,000, six, 000, six thousand, thousand, $7,000 uh, website project, you know, into the budget. And then have, and I knew how difficult it was to get the last one done, how long it took and stuff like that. I just knew like we were not in a place really at the time when I wanted to start doing it. To, to really spend a lot of time focusing on that. We had a lot of other stuff to do. And so for me, it was like, and so that's, that's number one. I would say number two is it's difficult when you're working with contractors to like master plan how you want things to work. So when I was building that website, I, I went through probably a hundred different versions of it. I mean, and I started this last year, I would say, maybe in uh, really, I mean, like in August or, or maybe September was when I, I really kind of first started the beginnings of it. And uh, I had like almost no knowledge back then, so that was a very very difficult time to, to get it to get it up to up to speed. But what I realized was like I could never have told at the time a developer make this site the way it is, like the way it is now. I couldn't <laughs> have just sat down and told him that. I had to learn that through building the site. Like that was stuff where like just staring at the site for long hours, playing around with the code, studying, tweaking things. Like that's how I learned how to go about actually like laying things out on the page, how I wanted it to look, what are the, you know, the errors that I was making here? Like, I just simply couldn't have master planned it. And so if I had told them upfront what I wanted, it just would have been a dramatically different thing than uh, it turned out to be. And it probably, you know, I wouldn't have been satisfied with it. So I think those are the, the two biggest things. It's like, I just, I couldn't have possibly explained it to them. I, I needed to really just sit there and work with it constantly. Um, what, I, what I think was cool, like what
0: I I sort of pull away from this, a couple things that I like the way that you did it. I think it's some really good lessons. One is like show instead of tell or instead of ask. And so, you know, you you didn't show the rest of the team. The minute you started working on playing around with this site, you know, again, not a, not a public one and not, not interfering with the current site, but building like a version on a staging environment to look at and play around with. I didn't know you'd been working on it for months when you showed it to me. You'd already clearly been putting in a lot of work and, and then you didn't like announce to the team, guys, I think I'm going to rebuild the website. Um, I think that would have been really distracting. You just needed like to create a space for yourself where you got to kind of play around and just like mess around with it, experience it, and build it. And then by the time you came, you had reasons for everything you had. Oh, well, the reason I did this, I've been looking at this blog. I've been looking at this site. I like the way they do this. And so I think it's really important to like create the space for yourself to build something to where it's, it's, it's value is obvious to people and you don't have to verbally persuade them and you can show them instead of just tell them. And that was huge. I mean, because that's immediately, all I had to do was see that landing page or see the homepage that you had mocked up once and say, yes, you can do this. You have permission to do this. It would have been a a ton of horrible meetings. If you would have been like, can I rebuild the website? I would have been like, schedule a 30 minute Skype and let's talk about how you're going to do it and why and how much it's going to cost and all this stuff. Um, But the second thing is, so you did very selectively do some outsourcing and contracting, but I, I think you got the most value out of it because you didn't outsource the whole vision and the whole project. You really got into it yourself. And then when you would run up against something like, I can't get this one you know, button to make the white box pop out properly, it's one very specific thing. You could go to a specific person and hire them for a very short amount of time to walk you through and not only do it, but to teach you as they're doing it. And I remember you did a couple of these sessions with people for very specific tasks that you knew you wanted and you knew why you wanted them. And I mean, I don't think you could have said to somebody, hey, I'd like you to build a web page. So how about you just create something in a staging environment and you and I just like play
1: around with it for a year? You
0: know what I, oh, mean? No. Like, I mean? Like, let me just
1: I, keep you on retainer. I mean, that would just be absurd, you know? It would have, it would have been super expensive. It would have been messy. And I mean that website was born out of hundreds of hours of late night just sitting around uh, messing around with it, changing copy. Um, And 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 to to piggyback off the point you were making is, I um like if I had told you guys I think back in January or whatever that I was working on a website, like pretty much no matter what you would have expected it to be done earlier than it was, even (laughs) if I didn't have the skills, you know. Like that's just the mindset. Like when you announce something, people expect it to be done. For me, it's like I just simply knew. That I didn't have the bandwidth, and also I just simply didn't have the knowledge to get it built the way I wanted it to be built. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna just take my time, make it the way I want it to be made, play around with things, test them out. Um, and, and and during that process too, I was constantly rewriting copy, and I was trying to like make the copy more simple, make the copy reflect the way I wanted to. Uh, change and update certain parts of the actual product itself. And I figured like if I put it out there and, and the copy is kind of is what is what it is, we'll make the the necessary product changes if they like the copy. And I think that's kind of what has happened uh, in the last couple months as well.
0: Well, and, and, and seeing being able to do that behind the scenes and get the copy where you want it. And if there's ways that that diverges from the product as is now you give yourself the ability to sort of persuade the team and get them bought in so that you have time to kind of make those things aligned instead of just here it is. And then people are like, wait a minute, that's not an accurate description of, you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Um, you know, you, are really good at this. You helped me even like with my personal website some time ago. And I know if you had it your way, I'm sure my personal website would be a lot <laughs> different already. Um, I really am huge on like checking things off the list and just getting them done and not thinking ab- about them again. How do you how do you balance that like mentally the the ability to get things done and move on while keeping something like a website as just a constantly evolving ongoing process? Does that ever cause like stress or make you feel like you're never caught up with things? How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean and you you told me this when I first joined the, the uh you know praxis uh was I'm I have a lot of things on my head and one of the diff- most difficult things would be for me to stay focused on on certain things. And so I think it's just having kind of an understanding really of what your capabilities are at the time, Um, and and like certain things I'll never let uh, I'll never let like a lack of skill get in the way. I'll just go out and hire somebody. Um, You know I I don't I don't I honestly don't even know. I mean I I would just say that uh, it just depends on like what the product is in particular. So like with the website I just knew like. I needed to have it done a certain way. I had a goal and that I knew really I wasn't going to get the Yeah, no one else was going to deliver what I wanted it to be. And so I was I was OK with waiting Like with other stuff. Like I'm not OK because I know like I can either go out and get someone to do it or um, or something like that. So I don't know, just having an understanding, I guess, of, of the of the particular goal in mind is helpful. And, and I mean, you, your
0: approach to this stuff has really helped me to change my orientation towards things like websites or, I mean, all, really almost anything and see it not as something that we've got to get it right and then finish it. And then good, it's launched. We're all set. And then like, just leave it because it's right. It's oh, all yeah. perfect. But to see everything yeah. as, Ongoing, and to not let that be stressful, but to let it be playful. Like, oh, this yes, is fun. Okay. Look at, I changed the, I changed the subheading, and we got more clicks when I did it that way. That's kind of, it's like a playful experiment rather than something that like it's built, it looks fine, don't touch it. Which is my yeah. typical
1: tendency. <laughs> so, so I'll I'll explain that a little bit then, because that is exactly it. Like I. That's that's just the mindset that has evolved in me over the last, uh, I would say, really since I really started my professional career, since I dropped out of college. I mean, even before that is I have a constant need to add something here and add something there and fix this and fix that. Like, I mean, that's one of the ways I even got involved in practice in the first place. Like, I love the company. I loved what you guys were doing. But more importantly, there were just things that I'd see randomly where I'd be like, you know, I wish I could just fix that for them for free. <laughs> like, And that's like, it, it can be actually a problematic mindset because you end up taking on way too much work. But it has led to essentially every opportunity that I've had, every professional opportunity that I've had pretty much, uh, outside of a few, has been simply from, like, I see something that I don't like, and I just kind of want to make it better. And I just love the opportunity just to work on it. And I don't even care whether they pay me or not. Like, it just Just the opportunity to say I built that is sometimes just enough for me. Um, So with our website, it's a very similar thing where it's like, I know I have a ton of changes I want to make. Like there's a lot of goals with that site. Um, For me, it's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to add something here and I add something there. And that was, that was one of the most important things with the website was the ability to, to consistently make changes on the fly. That was something we couldn't do with our previous websites because we had contractors make them. And I didn't understand the way they coded the website. I didn't, I couldn't really read the read the code really well, kind of understand how it was working. Uh, why you know, the logic behind the, the code bits now, like since I had my hands and everything, I know exactly why every single bit of code is there. Um, and, and and that's very helpful with me being able to make changes on the fly, edit things as I need, um, and stuff like that. So that was, that was one of the most important things with the website was the ability to go in and change things whenever I, whenever I need them.
0: So, uh, I want to change gears here. What, what is your take? C- Cause your other interests sort of, as I wrote down here, like <laughs> you're interested in classics and, and ancient Greece is big. You love languages. Um, you've got a lot of, a lot of interest. I know you, um, I'll see videos of you at the shooting range and things. I know you've got a lot of other interests. So I want to ask you, like, what is your philosophy on the idea of work-life balance?
1: Yeah, um, I I don't believe in really separating it at all. I mean, I I just don't I don't I don't even think about the work-life balance at all, because for me, like everything that I do, I see it as just a fun project to work on. Like I never I never really see anything that I'm working on as a job. I see it more as uh, you know, just a project that I'm working on at the time or that, you know, for a, for a set amount of time or, or just, you know, a a long-term thing. And so like when I, when I'm, when I'm doing something else that's outside of work, like, I don't know, I I guess I just don't really feel, I don't really feel the same, you know, trying to think how, how the best way to say it is, is like, again, like Praxis is so involved, is so intimately connected to my life that I don't really make a distinction between like when I'm when I'm here or there when I'm when I'm traveling like there's always something going on about praxis in my head and I think that's just a function of the type of work that I get myself involved in I get I get myself involved in work that like I, I truly care about that I have a lot of fun doing and that when I'm working on it I don't really feel typically the need to go take a break or to go do other things simply because this is this is absolutely what I love to do. Um, like building the website, that alone, that was like a hobby. That's I treated that website like the same way I would treat playing a video game, for example, or um, you know, you know, taking a trip somewhere or going on vacation. Like that, to me, was a playful, fun experience. Uh,
0: you're you're so you're so pure, Derek. Like, (laughs) no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, you've been almost completely untainted by the horrible mindsets and and guilt, that's not always horrible, but often, that comes with sort of the traditional approach to work. I I've had to spend years trying to unlearn that and not feel guilt about doing certain activities and others, you know, like, oh well, this is on the clock type work. And even if it's not creating anything valuable, it's, oh, I feel okay about this. I don't have to feel guilty because I'm working. And then, oh, you know, if I go for a walk and listen to a podcast for a half hour, that's not work. I feel kind of guilty. That's an indulgence. I've had to work hard to break that down. And, you know, the way that I view it now, like I mean, if you are out, you know, skiing uh, with some friends or if you are in a hotel on your laptop, I'm never thinking, oh, Derek's working, Derek's not working. This is the true of the whole Praxis team. Like yeah. everybody's always working, because I know that what you're doing, you're you're also relentlessly committed to your own personal growth and development. I know that whatever you're doing is making you better, and the better you are, the better Praxis is. And I know that b- making Praxis better is one of you know the goals of everybody on this team. And so I don't even that distinction is is. I've gotten good at breaking it down now for myself and, and with the team, but that took, that took a long time. That was a lot of work. I mean, I still have to fight that sometimes, even if I know that the best thing for me right now to increase my productivity today is, you know, uh record this podcast episode with you. There's a part of me that's like, but there, but this isn't like directly real yeah. work. You know, it's not like, uh, something like, you know, reviewing the financial statements, even if that creates no value, it feels more like something that would be considered real work. So I would feel less guilty about doing it. I've always, I've had to overcome that approach. Have you always just kind of had this freedom about
1: work and life and all being mixed together? Yeah. And uh, I'll give you like, I guess a mindset and we've talked about this before, but something that I, for whatever reason, I just sort of grew up with it. I think part of it was watching my father kind of be just an entrepreneur and stuff like that. Um, but it's like treating yourself as the actual company. like I I see myself as a company with product offerings essentially and so when I'm doing something when I'm on vacation when I'm traveling here when I'm when I'm doing something that's not directly related to the immediate financial goals of, of my life like I see that as an investment in the company of Derek McGill essentially so even when I'm skiing I see it in many ways as an investment in the company or the brand of Derek McGill and when you treat it like that I think the guilt kind of starts to wash away because I, I really, truly do see almost everything that I do as in some way leading towards a set series of goals that I have for my life. So when I'm skiing or when I'm on vacation or you know when I'm when I'm shooting in the gun range and stuff like that, like I, I truly do. St- I'm able to see those things as an opportunity in some way to lead towards the success of praxis or something like that. So again, like treat yourself as a company first before you treat anything else as a company, and I think that will help a lot. Do you ever feel like you don't have enough
0: privacy in your life? Because, because you, you very consciously share a lot of stuff and you're very transparent about, Hey guys, I'm working on this right now. Here's a screenshot or, you know, now I'm whatever I'm, I'm on a road trip to so, you know, this and that place. And and when you have that kind of yourself as a brand mindset, sometimes I think that can make people feel like, okay, so everything I do has to be some sort of staged thing where I'm sharing pictures of my food, and now I'm like a public person. And how do you how do you feel about that concern? Like do you ever face that personally or and if not, how do you avoid
1: that? Um I think like so i I don't really stage anything. Uh, I, everything <laughs> that i I post is like kind of organic. like it's really on the fly. It's typically not something that I master plan. Uh, you know, like, in advance, it's something that's like, Oh, I'll just do this right now, because that'll be kind of fun. Um, and I think if you treat it like that, it's a little bit easier. Um, so I mean, I don't have the concern about privacy. I actually, I'm actually constantly thinking about ways that can be more transparent. Because so far, at least, the more transparent I've been, the more professional opportunities and personal opportunities that have come to, have come to me. So for me, it's like, it's the opposite. It's like, am I too private? Can I, what, what else, what about, what, what else can I, can I share? What else can I write about? Uh, how else can I, uh, r- bring more people into my life or into my circle of influence and, uh, and, and, and open up to them in a way that I haven't opened up before. So yeah, I don't, I don't have the concern. I have the opposite. I, I truly want to make my life even more transparent. And that was a process that sort of began in college again too. And, uh, once I just realized, uh, the benefits of that pers- professionally and personally, um, It's just, it's it's huge if you, if, 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 if you really make it, if you do it the right way, I would say it
0: it can kind of help you with the process of like self-knowledge, understanding yourself. If you ask, um, if you're, if you're sharing a lot of the things that you're doing and being very transparent for one, it it gives you a nice check. And when you're doing something that you would like be ashamed to share, for example, or you would be embarrassed of or whatever, can be like, Hmm, well, should I really be doing this then it can help you in that way. But also like it, I think it it helps you to ask that question, Hey, is what I'm doing right now, would this actually be interesting to someone? And it can help you realize that you have more value to, to bring to people than you may realize, even if you are not an expert, which leads me to Quora.
1: Oh yeah. Well, and I'll I'll say too, on on top of that one real fast is, you know, you, you'll regularly post some kind of funny story about me just because there's, and especially recently, there's been a number of really (laughs) awkward situations that have arisen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> over the last couple a couple months since I was in Charleston, and, and just other kinds of things, and so I think you know what I re- what I what I realized when you started doing that was like old Derek might have been embarrassed by that kind of stuff, but now like. I see it as an opportunity to show people like I'm a real person and stuff, you know, that kind of stuff happens to me and it's funny. And, and honestly, all those things have actually, like I call it, I, I kind of jokingly refer to it as the Isaac Morehouse bump. Like that stuff has actually helped me in so many ways. So, <laughs> I mean, just being open about those funny things. Like if, if you're open about it, it suddenly becomes less embarrassing. Like that's like, I mean, like, I talk about, I, I've talked to people about dating before. Like what, one of the things I realized, uh, on dates was, at least the women that I, I went on, on dates with, they actually love sometimes a bit of self-deprecating humor, like the ability to laugh at yourself and to be open about it and have no qualms about it and to just be like shamelessly unembarrassed can be like a huge, a huge advantage both in the dating world and the professional world.
0: It's always a great uh, test if you go to a, uh, like a, you know, Japanese restaurant or something. It's the, the chopsticks to the people who are like, Oh yeah, I don't know how to do chopsticks. I don't care. Like, let me see how do I do it versus yeah. cause it's like one of those things that you're kind of supposed to know if you're cool. And if you yeah. don't know, you kind of want to like hide it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Quora, which is a really cool platform where people pose questions and people answer questions. And, um, it's one of those platforms where maybe it's just the, the life cycle stage that it's in, but hopefully it will stay this way where you can get a lot of really interesting, like, very busy, influential people who will take the time to answer questions from just anybody and vice versa, where anybody can go and provide answers um, and you get some really good content on there. So you're you're a heavy user of Quora. A lot of people feel like they can't answer questions because they're not experts. What what in your mind, um, how do you counter that feeling or what is, I guess, the definition of an expert to you?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think I think in most cases an expert is simply, is, is primarily a function of like like public perception of what you are. Like you can have someone who's very knowledgeable of, of a certain subject, but they're not going to be considered an expert unless like other people believe they're an expert, unless they're actually actively creating stuff. Um, so I mean that's that's number one, just recognizing that the process of becoming an expert is not just through reading and learning. It's actually through actively putting things out into the world that people find valuable and that showcase your knowledge. So. Quora is a great way to do that Um, I found like one of the reasons I like it so much is because it gives me a really easy way to write like essentially the topic is chosen for me um, and I get to address a very set need for a particular person who asked that question which I like versus like when I'm blogging it's you know I have to think of the topic I have to think of how I'm going to write it Quora is more conversational I'm, I'm dialoguing with the particular person who asked the question and I find that that's a much easier mode of writing and it's a much more fulfilling mode of writing. And it's actually taught me a lot about writing, too. Like, it made me much more comfortable with using the word I. It made me much more comfortable with using personal experiences in my writing. Because I realized pretty quickly that my Quora posts were far more popular than my blog posts. And I think the, the biggest reason was because I was writing to one person. I was uh, using the personal voice a lot. I was relying heavily on personal stories. And I just, like, people tend to people tend to relate to that stuff much better. That's That's a really powerful set of observations that... Writing
0: to one question, writing to one person and yeah. writing the way that you would if a friend said, I'm struggling with X. First, you want to sort of establish, hey, I've struggled with that, too. Here's my story. And I think when you write an article or a blog post, you can feel sometimes like you've got to just come at things in the abstract and address big ideas in a, in a dispassionate way with all kinds of knowledge but really, it's it's you know Hemingway write the truest sentence you know and yes. write write what you know which is you, yourself and your own struggles. That's that's a great way to frame it. Um, every time I talk to you about Quora, I always feel like I need to go use Quora more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I've had a number of great opportunities through Quora. I mean, I was uh, I've been interviewed a number of times, been brought on. Uh, I was brought on the successful dropouts podcast because of uh, Quora. I regularly get you know some decent web traffic from Quora now. Um, around you know college dropouts. I'll get messages from people all over the world now. I've had messages from Russia. I've had messages from Brazil, from people who have read my Quora answers, and uh, from India, even. Uh, and and the reasons are because that stuff is highly searchable, too. So it's much more searchable than a traditional blog title because it's literally the exact question that someone might type into Google. So when they type that in, the Quora answer tends to come up more mm. quickly. Um, and, and, and I'll say, I guess, one more thing about, um, about I guess about Quora in general is it's a great way to sort of test your knowledge too, because like you, you have to really think in terms of the question being asked rather. And and so you can't really, you can't really get too much into the fluff that might come with a normal blog post. You really have to like focus on value add first, which is different than a blog post. Oftentimes when we write a blog post, we have a ton of different extra stuff in there that really doesn't need to be there with Quora. You just don't really have that luxury. And uh, that's something again, that has really helped me out.
0: So you get a lot of people, coming to you with kind of like early career questions I'm young, whether I'm a dropout or not, I want to, I want to do cool work. I want to get a job. I want to work with interesting people. How do I do it? And you're really good at, at fielding those. What would you say are your most like, let's just say like top three most common questions you get about early career?
1: Um, yeah. So number one is just like how to go out getting a job. And so the job can be essentially anything, but it's again, it's like, okay, I have a, a particular job that I want. I have no idea where to get started. Like, how can, what, 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 what should I do uh, at, at the very early stages of that process before I've even done an interview? What, what are some steps that I can take to, uh, to, uh, I guess, and I, I use this is the word I'm using, not them, but decommoditize myself, make myself stand out. Um, that's number one. Number two, like these are like highly specific questions. So they're always like, like, how can I get a job in journalism? How can I get a job at a startup? How can I get, like, those kind of questions in general, like, jo- how can I get a job at a specific career mm-hmm. is, like, the number two. Um, and then number three is this like, it's it's typically related to, like, college. It's typically something like, I'm bored in school. Like, I want to leave, but I'm not sure, like, what, what are my options, essentially? So I would say those three in particular.
0: So when it comes to the how to get a job, the, the most common sort of question, the broad one I know you're really big on, and you've written some great posts about this, you've got some stuff in uh, how to get any job you want, an ebook you put together, creating a value proposition instead of a resume, instead of assuming that a, a degree or a resume with some you know, bullet points on it is going to get you a job, actually bringing a value proposition to the table. What is the difference, because I know you've had a lot of examples of people saying, hey, is this a good value proposition? What's the difference between a good value proposition and a bad one? Because it's not enough to just say, I have a value proposition. It actually has to be valuable to catch attention. Or What are sort of the common errors people make when they say, okay, value proposition, I'll do that. And, and how do they go wrong in that approach?
1: Yeah, so the number one thing that I see always is simply that they're way too long. They're always like three pages long and they're very difficult to read. They're like small font and have like no formatting at all. <laughs> and so when a business owner is going to look at that, all they're going to see is like a task on their hand. Like the philosophy, my, my general philosophy when you're going about getting hired is you need to make things as easy as possible for that employer. Like they should not have to think like, what can I have this kid do? What, uh, Why should I hire this person? Like it should all be there and they shouldn't have to strain to read your document. So that's like, honestly that is serious and it it seems like it's easy but i guess it's it's not that is the number one thing that i see but basically everybody who submits one is just formatting like the ability to like bold key points to 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 use bullet points when necessary to condense everything down to a, a page or a half page is absolutely huge um so i mean that's that's number one um Number two is not being clear enough about the kind of value or, or you want to take and not having enough like actionable deliverables back to back that kind of stuff up. So someone will say, like, you need a social media strategy, and they see that as a uh, – as like a value proposition it's like no that's that's just a generic statement what you need to do is give highly actionable advice for their specific facebook page if they have one say all right for your page i'm going to create a graphic that says this this and this it's going to accomplish this this and this and here's my you know deliverable date or something like that like that is far more clear than just you know a generic you know i'm going to post on twitter for a year or something like that so that's number one i mean I, I, that's number two i i think those are the those are the two most most common errors i i see is is way too generic, not actionable enough and uh, bad formatting. Yeah. It's always,
0: it's always exciting when someone says, Hey, I love what you're doing. I want to create value for you. I'll even work for free. Okay. It's, you, you know, okay. You're starting to get it value proposition. Yeah. And then it's, I'm really good at communication and copy and digital marketing. Let me know what I can do. And now it's like, wow, yes. oh, because now you're putting all the work on me. Contrast that to, Hey, I love your product. Uh, I've seen you don't have a Facebook page. Here's a link to one I created for you. I took the information and bio and logo off your website. I haven't made it public yet. I would like to make it public, and here's a sample of posts that I would like to share on it every couple days. Give me a three-month trial. Or, hey, I think you could use more collateral for your stuff. Here's an infographic I created as an example. I would like to do three more if you'd be willing to let me. You know what I mean? It's so yep. much better to have done something and say, this is what I want to do for you, green light or red light, than, Hey, I want to do stuff for you. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So, and I'll add on another one, like the stuff that you're doing for them should be low risk. So it shouldn't be something that they have to think like, if this kid does that, is it going to, is it going to cause a lot of serious problems for me? If I actually let him like take the reins on this project, it should be stuff that basically like, if you mess up, the business owner has an out and it's not going to affect his business that whole, whole lot. But if you succeed, it will create some significant value for him. Um, and I'll add one more point. Like, I mean, you know how I got hired by you guys, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I said, I, I, basically created a value proposition in my, uh, in my practice application, um, in the scholarship window, I told you guys essentially some of the things that I wanted to do for you. And, uh, you know, I think I was, I've gotten much better at it now since then, but I think that was a pretty solid, solid one as well. And, um, the, the thing I'll say is like, I didn't end up delivering on all of those things. Like not all of the, the ideas that I gave you were necessarily ideas that warranted follow through. So one of the mistakes people make regularly is they think that their value proposition needs to be perfect when it really doesn't. All you need to have is like some very clear examples of things you can do. And then once you're in the door, you can kind of, you know, change and adapt as needed. There's almost a paradox there that the more you make it,
0: about here's a specific thing that I want to do for you. The more that that tells the employer, not so much about the things, but about you. So when you come and say, Hey, I want to, you know, here's my application of the program, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk about, you know, all the traditional stuff. I want to do something valuable for you. I want to come to the opening seminar and I want to do all the photography and videography. Here's some examples of my work. Now, even if I already had somebody lined up to do that and I didn't need you to, the fact that instead of you just saying, I want to create value for you and do a bunch of tasks, but instead said, here's exactly what I want to do and here are samples for you, it tells me something about you and it almost makes those specific things less important by you being more detailed about them.
1: Absolutely. And so for for a young person who's who's coming into a job I mean, you really take the pressure off yourself a little bit. Don't worry if your ideas are perfect. You're a young person. You really haven't been involved in that company a lot. There's chances are the majority of ideas you pitch them on are not going to be like the end product that you end up with. That is totally fine. The goal is just to get to get yourself in the door, get access to the accounts, get access to the stuff. And then once you have that access, then you can start tweaking and messing around and doing things. So like. With you guys, like I got access to the Facebook page. I got access to, you know, an email address and a lot of other stuff. And then from there, I was able to start just like on my own, identify opportunities to create value here, identify them there, and then start taking them on under my wing. Really, So oftentimes without, you know, without even asking about it. Um, So that should be the goal. Like I see a value proposition as simply a way to get yourself in the door and get permission to start doing a lot of other stuff.
0: You, You have something, Derek, a mindset that is like a, it's like an abundance mindset. Um, where you're not worried about every nickel and dime in financial terms or every little accounting of time and who gets credit. You have this sort of generous spirit or this abundance mindset that says, look, if I'm just creating value and progressing and moving forward, like everything is going to be fine. I don't need to stress over that stuff so much so that there've been a number of times where you'll say, Oh, uh, we created this new, you know, here, there's a new header for the Facebook page I put up there. Um, you know, even before, you, even before you were like officially working for us when you're sort of working for free and you would just, Oh, I paid some designer to do it. And I'm like, did you, did you use the, like, did you get the Praxis credit card from someone? Oh no, I just did it out <laughs> of pocket. And you didn't, you didn't even ask to be reimbursed. You didn't seem to care. Now I think your approach has been, look, if I'm doing everything right, that stuff's all going to work itself out. It's going to be fine. And I think that's right, but that's a hard thing for a lot of people to, to adopt that sort of. I don't even care in the short term if I gotta put fifty bucks of my own money to do something for this company because I'm so confident in my ability to be valuable to them. Is that something you had to cultivate or are you just naturally that way?
1: Um, I mean I think it goes back to just me wanting to to build things and create things. Like that kind of stuff just tends to trump any other kind of financial interest I might have. And then and also too, uh, yeah, I mean I guess there is I don't know if I had to cultivate it actively, but it sort of just developed in me was like a recognition, like if we're moving towards our goals, that's what matters. And that like any short term inconveniences that I have to put up with are are fine. And, And so for me, like, yeah, I've, I've probably, I've spent thousands of my own of dollars on my own testing different things for Praxis on the side, uh, downloading new software so that I could see which one works like simply because I know oftentimes like w- at, when you're at a company like they simply don't have the budget to do all the things that I want to do or they don't have the time or the energy to do all the things that I want to do it's like okay so I could I could number one I could just I could I, I could either sit down and just you know do what I'm told and and then, you know and and that's it or I can experiment and try things. And, and if I'm able to actually create a lot of value out of this, I know I'll get paid back. Like, I'm not really ever worried about that. I know that, like, and I tend to trust people. Like, I, I, I'm, in general, I see people as fundamentally good. I see people as, you know, if you create value for them, they'll create value for you. Um, and I know, you know, there are times you can get burned. But in general, I think if you keep that mindset and you're not worried about, like, like you said, who gets credit for what or, or who does this or who does that or, you know, whatever. Like, if you don't wrap your head around those things and you just focus on creating value here, like that's, that's all you need to do. And, and and I think things will tend to come your way naturally that way. I've seen that happen with my, my, you know, my father growing up was very helpful. Um, but but yeah, I, and I still regularly do that. Like I I'll see something that I want to do for practice. I'll just put it on my card. I don't know. I. I I just don't really think about money in, in terms of like, I need to have like a, a, a set amount of money. Money for me is simply a a means of exchange, a means of getting what I want. And so I'm, I'll gladly spend money if I think that uh, I have an opportunity to create more value or do something.
0: You just tapped into an absolutely profound secret for happiness and success at a job that I think so few people realize. It's so simple, but it's so easy to miss. And that is... If you want to try something or do something, consider the cost of having meetings and getting a bunch of approvals and convincing people to get on board versus just paying for it yourself to try it. So, I mean, I, I've seen at companies maybe you want to do a, you want to spend, you know, two hundred dollars on Twitter ads because nobody's ever tried Twitter ads. And even though it's only two hundred dollars, even if you're at a multi-million dollar company, the fact that it's a new form of marketing with some new thing. Often that will involve a couple meetings. It will involve like, it's just a lot of BS. And you don't even know if you're willing to fight for it that much, but maybe yeah. you just want to try it. So few people ever think is like, oh, the accounting department has to, I have to get approved to use the expense account, blah, 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 blah. So few people ever think to just say, I'm going to just drop a couple hundred bucks on my own and I'm going to play around with this for a couple weeks. I'm not going to tell anybody. And if I like what I'm getting, then I'll come back and be like, Hey, um, here's what I tested out. I really like it. Can we do more of this? the power. I mean, sometimes it's only 50 bucks. I used to work at a place where we would give books to people that we were uh, mentoring and helping them with their career. And we had a whole library of great books that we would send to them and stuff. Hey, I think this will help you. And there was a process of getting approval for those. And I would get, I was really generous with my books. I I loved sending them to my mentees. I found it to be a really valuable way to, to connect with them. And I would get a lot of pushback. Wait a minute. Well, that's an expensive book. Didn't you send that other person a book last month? And I got so tired of it. I just said, screw it. And it's easier to just do one click through Amazon anyway and just put in their address uh, yep. and send it directly. I don't have to go to the mail. So I just did it on my own card. And every month I was spending probably 50, 60 bucks. And after a couple months of this, I was getting a lot of results. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, you seem to be getting a little more traction with this. And I said, well, it's because I'm bypassing the whole library yeah. system and I'm putting yep. it on my own. You are? Really? And then, <laughs> and then they, they ended up revisiting the whole process yeah. because of that. And I had instant credibility, not only... Not only could I get to do things my way and experiment, but then if I wanted to make a change at the organization, I had credibility from not only the example, but in people's mind, if you come and say, hey, this has worked, I paid for it out of my own pocket, they automatically feel like they owe you more respect and they owe you more weight because they feel like, well, geez, he's already paying out of his own pocket for this stuff. Like it's a really powerful way to bypass things that are stopping you in your job.
1: Well, and, yeah, you'll get taken more seriously because if you're willing to put your own money on the line for something and not, you know, expect other people to do it for you, I, I just think people tend to respect that more. They'll take that far more seriously. And this is something that began for me in college. So I guess hopefully this will help explain it a little bit more is I realized early on in college when I was running my college club that, frankly, the majority of people are not going to take a whole lot of action. That doesn't mean they're bad. It's just something that people just tend not to do for whatever reason, either procrastination or, or, or other kinds of things going on in their life. So like when we were going to, uh, uh, you know, to Washington, D.C. for a club trip, for example, I put all the rooms on my personal credit card. I booked them all. And because I figured, like, if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. I'm not going to, like, sit around and go through the school, school bureaucracy to try to get funding. I'll put it all in my card, and then I'll, I'll work to get uh, everybody to pay me back. And, and I got the majority of them to pay me back. Um, or I do that with like campus dinners and stuff like that too. Like rather than like trying to like, you know, finagle people for money or get them to, you know, all get in line. It's like, I'll just do it up front because I know like this is going to be a valuable experience for me first. And and, and so having like, have like a selfish interest in what you're doing. And then, you know, when you're putting your money on the line, I guess, I don't know, it just becomes easier that way to think about it rather than worrying if everyone else is like paying their fair share. Think about it as like I want these people around. Like this is an opportunity for me to to create this good experience for myself. And if it costs me a little bit of extra money, like there's no there's simply no reason to be bitter about someone not you know pulling their weight necessarily because it's like I'll I'll bring everybody along with me. That's kind of my mindset. And it's
0: an it's an investment too. When you see that as you know, if you're going to put a couple hundred dollars into some 401k, you'd probably feel like good about that. Oh, that's a good thing. That's smart, even though you have no control over whether that money disappears or grows yeah. it's completely out of your hands but a lot of people feel really stingy about a couple hundred dollars into something like that even though it's a huge investment i'll give you an example so i i go and speak at college campuses from time to time and i'll have different groups and clubs invite me sometimes and it's really common for a club to say or somebody to email me and say hey i run a club at this school can you come and speak blah 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 and i will say um yeah this is the i like to you know this is my speaking fee or can you cover my travel or whatever you know depending upon the event and it's really common for them to come back and say um well we're applying for through the university it's really bureaucratic it'll be a couple of weeks i'll let you know if we're able to do that and so everything's kind of on hold if they can get the yeah. money approved or whatever and i'm not you know i'm not asking for $50,000 <laughs> so it's yeah. not yeah. but i have had one time a club leader say um yeah our group hasn't been approved yet i will go ahead and pay you out of my pocket and hopefully i'll be able to get reimbursed if we do get approved and the minute he said that I said, you know what? Forget it. I'll just come for free. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, I'm not going to make this kid pay a couple hundred dollars to, to exactly. get me down there or whatever. But he was so willing. So not only did I say, yeah, I'll do it. Forget it. And he got me to do it for free. Even if he had had to pay, he would have built so much social capital with me yeah. that the investment of a few hundred dollars to add me as a huge advocate in his network. And by extension, everybody that's in my network. Now he's essentially connected to Derek McGill. I'll, I'll immediately connect him to you and to Zach and to all the people we work with our business partners and to investors. That's worth so much more than putting a couple hundred dollars into some account that you have no control over. But I think people don't often see it that way.
1: No, and I'll give it, I mean, the example of of when I, when I was very like first starting out with Praxis, you invited me to come out to, uh, to South Carolina, to Charleston, from Austin, to sit in on a, a marketing meeting you were having, um, because you just kind of you know wanted my insight or whatever. I, I guess I'm assuming that's what you wanted. I, I, wanted, um, I wanted
0: to see. I wanted to see uh, what you had. I, I knew you. I knew we were working with something pretty special there, but I wanted to see the full extent of of what you brought to the table. Well,
1: yeah, and so I put that on my. It was like a, that was like a 750 eight hundred dollar ticket, and uh, I, I I paid for it myself. Flew out there. And like, you know, other people might have said, I guess, you know, you got to pay me back or whatever. It's like, I just knew like, look, one, I'm unproven really Two, like, this is an opportunity for me where, you know, $800 is going to mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. It absolutely means nothing. And so, you know, I'm willing to put that expense on my own. I never asked for reimbursement. I didn't care. Like, the yeah, opportunity, I, think in, no,
0: I think in fact, what I said to you was, hey, I would love for you. We have like two days of meetings. I would love for you to be a part of them. Um, I don't, I don't expect you to, to fly in here or anything. I, I can't pay you to do that, but I can Skype you in and whatever. And you said, Nope, I'll be there. I'll just, I'll fly on my own dime. I don't mind at yeah. all. I like traveling. And yep. you didn't make me feel guilty about it. You didn't say, I'll just, I'll pay. I think I can make it work. You were like, Oh no, I like traveling anyway. Don't worry about it. But when you did that so immediately, I mean, that just sent a huge signal, you know? And if you weren't there, I, it would have been easier to forget about you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah
1: no, I mean, I saw it as like, okay, I have, I have one opportunity. This is a great one. And now I, you know, I, I had other opportunities later on too, but this was an awesome opportunity. One to get to know you more. Uh, but two, to really show what I'm capable of doing to you guys. Um, and, and to really kind of get a feel for, for how the team works. And so again, like you just, so many people get so scared about money and so wrapped up in like you said, again, who gets credit or who's paying for what or, or whatever. It's like, I just I mean the biggest thing is I just simply don't want to have to think about that stuff. I mean all of that stuff just gets in the way of things, right? I mean I remember like like my dad, I guess my dad was the one who taught me this stuff. Like like he was just the kind of guy who was like, "All right, I'm just going to pay for it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to worry about that." Like or, you know, they're trying to split the bill and do all the math at the dinner table. It's like, "No, I'm paying for it." I mean like for him it was literally like my mind is focused on more important things. I do not have time to think about all of this crap. It's almost and a way of
0: respecting and valuing your own time. Uh, oh yes, that elevates, that helps elevate you in your own mind and remind you of how valuable you are. It's not worth haggling over twenty dollars. I'm I'm a more valuable person than that, and it's kind of self reinforcing.
1: Yep, no, I mean completely. To give an kind like, of an extreme example of my own life, which is kind of funny, is when I got my first apartment. I had a uh, you know really no credit history, so. Uh, my father was going to co-sign with me. And, and he was at work and he was really busy. And uh, the apartment, you know, was going to be like $1,000 a month or whatever. Um, and the the apartment complex called him and they wanted him to fill out a bunch of paperwork and stuff like that. And he's like, all right, I don't have time for this. I'll just write you a check for the full amount uh, for, for the whole lease. And they were so like surprised and shocked. They just didn't make him sign any additional paperwork. They didn't demand the full check. They just, you know, <laughs> it, but like that, that, that's just his mindset. It's just like, I, I literally, my, my time is simply way too important to think about like the exact dollar amount or the, to worry about money. Like I know I'm going to make more money. The, I'm not worried about that.
0: The mental buckets we put money in can, can be a big determinant in this. So if you were to take, for example, you know, your $800 trip to Charleston for a couple of days, people say, well, geez, that's a lot of like, so what? Okay. You wanted a job, but you paid 800 bucks for the opportunity to maybe let this lead you to a job. So when you hear it like that, people can say, that's a lot. But if you compare it, why are most people going to college? Because they yes. want a job. And so yes. if you say, well, I'm paying you know, $10,000 a year or a semester in order to hopefully increase my odds of getting a job that I hopefully like, well, shoot, I bet if you gave yourself a budget of $1,000 a month or $1,000 a semester and said, I'm going to use that for a year, and, you know, I'm going to see, I'm going to set that aside. It probably won't even need it all. And if I need to buy a domain to set up a landing page for somebody, if I need to fly somewhere to meet somebody in person, I bet you I can get a better job quicker for a fraction of the cost. And if you, and if you compare it to that alternative, um, oh, yeah. I think that's where you start
1: to see the value. Yeah. It's very helpful to, to do that kind of stuff. Um, speaking of, of putting, th- I think I, I, think I currently have the Praxis website on my credit card too. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just wanted this, to get, this it. all just to confront me. I wanted to get it done. You know, like <laughs> I'm just, I don't know how to teach that. It's just, that's for me, it's what works for me. And, uh, I, I, I really, I'm just not a person who worries about money a whole lot. Like I know I can go make more money. That's not what what's worrisome. What's worrisome to me is always having something interesting to work on and I'll, I'll pay a premium on that every day.
0: Derek, this has been absolutely awesome.
1: Uh, where would you like people to go? Derekmcgill.com? Yeah, check out. Uh, you can go to derekmcgill.com if you want. You can uh, sign up for my ebook. Uh, there's a lot of highly actionable advice from myself, Isaac, uh, our colleague Zach Slayback, uh, and uh, some other people on you know getting a job without a degree or getting a job even if you do have a degree. Just you know how to how to decommoditize yourself. Uh, check out nohipsterstocks.com too. I'm trying to grow that. That's uh, you know so go there if you want you know some some stocks uh, stock photos or if you just want to support the cause to rid the the stock photo world of hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course, check out pra- uh, discover too, because, uh, we're doing a lot of cool things and, uh, I, I definitely want to, want to share that with you and, and, you know, feel free to reach out to me at all as well on my website contact page. If you have any questions about, uh, really about anything,
0: we even have a nifty live chat box on discoverpraxis.com where, uh, Derek is almost always on there. So you can, you can, uh, find him there as well. Derek McGill, always a pleasure.
1: Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, this was awesome, Isaac. Thank you for having me.
0: if you're a fan of the show and want to help others find the Isaac Morehouse podcast, make sure you go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. One rating goes a long way towards others finding the show.